here, and it's a great honor to serve you guys uh, in that way. Uh, today, if you're here for the first time, uh, we are starting a new series uh, called When Sinners Say I Do. Uh, it's a marriage series, and so if you're married, uh, you are in the right spot. Uh, we're going to do a little what I call proactive marriage counseling today versus reactive marriage counseling when uh, it's too late. If you ever have to go to reactive marriage counseling, you probably should have thought about that before. And so I like as a church for us every year to at least spend one series of the year talking about family and talking about marriage and doing it God's way versus uh, our own way. And so if you're single in the room, uh, I'd say this is still helpful uh, for you. Maybe you're happily single. Maybe you are uh, unhappily uh, single. Maybe you're uh, looking to be single if you're married. Uh, but I don't care where you're at. I believe uh, this series will be helpful uh, for you right where you're at. It's always important to study God's design uh, for marriage. And so if you got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Ephesians chapter 5. That's where we'll be uh, this morning. That is the Bible's uh, passage uh, that is the, the best teaching uh, on marriage. And so that's where we'll be this morning. I want to open up uh, with maybe a thought that you have thought about or maybe uh, you haven't thought about this way. But here's what I want us to understand. So for, for all of us, when it comes to marriage, uh, we have a normal, right? When it comes to relationships, when it comes to uh, just how we interact with the opposite sex or even people uh, within uh, our friendships, this could work in that way too. But uh, we all have a normal, and that normal has been based or formed in our mind off of uh, what we've seen or who's modeled relationships for us. Listen, that can be a number of things. One of the first things I ask when I'm doing uh, premarital counseling with a couple is, hey, who, who do you look up to in marriage? Who do you want your marriage to be like? Who do you not want it to be like? Who do you feel like has formed your view of marriage the most? And the reason I ask that question is because it shows me what a person's normal is. And so if I grew up in my family and my parents' uh, marriage was a certain way where dad did this, mom did this, this is kind of how they interacted with one another, I go into marriage knowing that, hey, that's kind of my normal. Well, Kate, on the other hand, her parents may have been different than my parents, right? So if her parents uh, treated each other a little different than ours or they had a different structure or however, and so when we got married, guess what those two normals did? They collided, right? And so what my view of marriage was came against her view of marriage, and a lot of times that causes a ton of tension. But if we're not aware of that and we don't talk to our spouse about that, it, it can cause a ton of issues. And it's important for us to understand this point. Just because it's our normal doesn't mean it's right. That makes sense? You got to hear that. Just because something is normal to you and the way you think it should work doesn't mean it's right. And this is where the Bible can help us so much because the normal that God wants us to have is not my normal or her normal. It's his normal, right? And so when we begin to align and fix our eyes on Christ and his design for marriage, it is absolutely incredible to see what God can do, for he's the person that created marriage. It would make sense for us to look to him. So I want to give you three scenarios. If you're not with me yet, maybe you'd say, yeah, Billy, I got you. I understand what you're talking about. But I want to give you three scenarios that I see very often uh, in my limited marriage counseling that I've done over the past uh, 12 years. The first one uh, would be scenario one. I would call it the domineering wife scenario, right? So happy Mother's Day, of course. We're talking about marriage today, moms. I uh, hate to step on your toes, but here we go, right? So the domineering wife. This is where maybe you've seen this in a relationship before. Maybe this is where the wife pretty much uh, dominates the man, right? At, at what she says, happy wife, happy life, right? And the man kind of embraces this lifestyle of, you know, uh, give and take. Have you ever heard this? I hear this at marriage, uh, at wedding ceremonies all the time, and I'm going to quote them. This is not my quote, but theirs. Uh, marriage is about give and take. She gives you hell, and you take it. If I've heard that one time, I've heard it a thousand. And that may be your normal, but that's not God's normal for your marriage, right? It doesn't make sense in God's eyes for, even if a man drops back into passivity, which we'll talk about in a minute, 
Uh, it's, it's God's design that the man should step up and lead. And just because he's incompetent to do that doesn't mean that God wants the wife to step up and be domineering over everybody. And, and, and a lot of times when you see this, the, the man really becomes like a glorified puppy dog, you know, where essentially the wife does everything and she does finances, parenting, discipleship, and then the man kind of submits to her. And, and this is really, if you think about pretty much every TV sitcom you've ever seen, uh, it, it pretty much treats the man this way, right? You think about, I used to grow up watching King of Queens, you know, and it's pretty much the same thing. You know, Doug Heffernan or whatever his name is in there would, would be the same way, just be very passive. She was the smart one. She did everything, and he was the lazy, fat slob that went to work, made a paycheck, and then didn't do anything, right? And so that's not God's design. Scenario two would be coexisting roommates. Uh, this is the scenario a lot of times when uh, when, when people come to me for, for reactive uh, marriage counseling, it, it's where uh, the two people have, have got married maybe a long time ago at least, uh, and, and, and they, they begin to live two separate lives somewhere along uh, the way. Maybe they had kids, and uh, you know they kind of turned all of their focus towards the kids versus uh, leaving some focus on uh, themselves, and they begin to live uh, this lifestyle where she does what she does, and maybe she takes this kid, he takes this kid, and you begin to live kind of two separate lives and just try to keep up uh, with all the activities that your kid happen. And what ends up happening with this is there's no intimacy between you and your spouse, there's no friendship, you lose the relationship, there's just nothing there, and you begin to essentially just co-parent. And you co-parent your kids and, and, and you stay together, but it's more for the sake of the kids than it is for the sake of the marriage reflecting uh, Christ. And, and it's, it, it's very sad because usually this family uh, kind of begins to conform to the culture of basically they do every kid's activity on demand. And so they have no time to invest in one another because they're constantly chasing their kids here, here, and there, and there, and all this stuff. And They'll say, well, this is just a season, right? This is just a season that we're in, but here's the thing. A season becomes a year, and a year becomes multiple years, and multiple years become the coexisting relationship that usually leads uh, to divorce, that we're not happy anymore. I need, I, I don't, we've, we've not been happy for a long time, and so it's not God's design. And then scenario three would be, on the opposite end of the domineering wife, the passive lazy husband where uh, the wife wants the husband to be the spiritual leader, uh, but the husband sees his job as to provide, to just put food on the table. It's her job to do everything else, right? I, I remember a movie uh, a while back where uh, Vince Vaughn is talking to his, to his dad. I don't uh, tell you to watch Vince Vaughn movies. They're usually not very good, but uh, clean-wise, but I, back in my unsaved days, I used to love him, and I, I still love him, so there's a confession for you. Um, and so there's this movie where he's meeting with his dad, and his dad, you know, his dad just hates his mom, and they're just in this relationship, and, and he's like, Dad, you know, like, why, why do you hate mom so much? And, you know, he makes this statement. He says, you know, uh, I fed her, I put a roof over her head, and I never lied to her face. I spoiled her is what I did. And she left me, right? And so he's just got this bitterness up. But in his bitterness comes out this idea of if I just feed her, put a roof over her head, and don't lie to her face, then I'm a good husband, right? And that's not God's design for what uh, it means. There, there's, there's decisions that, that men and husbands are called to make that have eternal spiritual value uh, that, that if we just physically say, okay, we're here to provide, which is a part of what we're here to do, we miss the point of what God's design is. So let me help you today. I believe Ephesians 5 will speak into this. And I'm here before you to say, like, I don't have all the answers. I'm not a professional marriage counselor. I'm teaching you from what I've learned in my own marriage eight years this week. I'm teaching you from what I've seen uh, through the counseling things that I've been able to be a part of and the training that I've received. But God's word is the best. And so let's turn to Ephesians 5, 15, starts this way. He says, be very careful then, this is verse 15, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Listen to him. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. 
Instead, what does he say? Be filled with the Spirit. I want you to underline that. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks. I want you to underline that. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so we see Paul kind of introduce a lot of people when they teach on marriage, they start in verse 22. But when we do that, we fail to see what Paul writes right before he gets into marriage. And it's important for us to understand that there are some, there's some fruit for us in this before. Mainly the fact that there's some prerequisites to a healthy marriage. And so I'm going to get down to 22 through 33 uh, later in the sermon. But I want to just stop there. And I want to give you three things from this entire passage. The first is this. God's design uh, for marriage. We're going to later see Paul talk about how God's design for marriage is it's to portray his relationship with his church. That's what it's about. It's all about us loving and serving another person in such a way that it shows other people the love of Christ for his people and Christ's relationship with his church. And so the first thing is God's design for marriage. A healthy marriage starts with the gospel and ends with the gospel. Right? It ends with the gospel because literally the result of a healthy marriage is that it reflects Christ. It reflects Christ and his love for his church. Think about Christ's love for his church. It was sacrificial. Uh, it, it was um, serving. It was characterized by serving. It was characterized by uh, sacrifice. And, and that was pretty much what it was. He loves it. He leads his church. He wants it to flourish. He has good plans for his church. And it starts with the gospel because literally when the gospel gets a hold of our life, Christ, the Holy Spirit, gets a hold of our life, it produces three very important things in us that I would say are the prerequisites to a healthy marriage. And that's what we saw in the first part of that passage. Letter A, the first prerequisite, is salvation, right? Salvation. Be filled with the Holy Spirit is what Paul says. Do not be drunk with wine. Don't be controlled by wine or another With the right now, the number one of enemy of a healthy marriage.
24, which is your sanctification, which is for you to become more and more like Jesus. If a person never disagrees with you, they won't make you more like Jesus. So when God gives you a wife, it's not somebody that's always going to agree with you. It's somebody that's going to shape you and begin to teach you how to love people even when they feel unlovable to us. It's what we need to exactly be more like Christ. So let me ask you a question. When's the last time you've thanked God for your spouse? When's the last time you've thanked God for your spouse? Maybe not even thank God. We like to pray for our spouse, right? We like to pray, God, help me not kill them. You know what I mean? God, I was asking somebody, hey, what's, a, what's a, a verse that we could pray over your marriage? Thou shall not kill is what she said and came back with. I'm like, all right, hold on. Maybe we need to, let's rephrase the question. But, but it's that idea. We like to pray uh, against them or pray for them. But when's the last time we've just been thankful to God that he's given us the spouse that he has given us? That gratitude for friendship and patience and their partnership is incredible. When's the last time you verbally said Thank you to your spouse, not just for all that she does for you or he does for you, but for who she is. Write this down. Unspoken gratitude is useless. So if you feel thankful for your spouse in your heart at any point in your day, I don't care if it's in the morning, I don't care if it's after intimacy in the bedroom, I don't care if it's uh, at work while you're on your lunch break and she packed the meal for you, I don't care when it is. If you feel it in your heart, You pick up your phone and you text it, you call her, whatever you got to do. Because listen, unspoken gratitude is useless. We can never tell our spouse, thank you enough. Gratitude is an absolute game changer in marriage. It is an absolute game changer. Listen, every day in your life, you can find reasons to complain. Every one of us. We live in a fallen world. And we live in a world where we don't get get things our way all the time. And when we don't get things our way, you and I are the best people at complaining. Well, there's nothing that ruins a healthy marriage more than complaining. And so we got to switch our mindset to begin to understand at the same time, though we can find reasons to complain, we can also easily find a multitude of reasons to be thankful. And God wants us to be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice always, pray continually. Listen, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will that you would be thankful. Gratitude is a game changer in marriage. And then the third prerequisite is surrender. Surrender. He says to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul is asking us to mutually submit to God's design. A good marriage is first and foremost about mutual submission. Right? When we think of submission, we immediately think of the woman's role or the wife's role in marriage. But before he tells the wife to submit, he tells both of us to submit to him. And so if we want to have a healthy marriage, we must be first and foremost surrendered to God. Because when we're surrendered to God, what we're saying is, God, I don't want to do marriage my way. I want to do it your way. And that's what we need more than anything else. Because if that's not on the table to start with then what God's asking us to do as a wife and what God's asking us to do as a a husband are going to be harder to the point where we're going to say, I don't want to do that, right? Because both of the roles are very, very difficult and there's a lot of pressure that that comes on you to, to do it. And so two important phrases that we need to understand from this verse. The first is submit to one another. This is the same term Paul uses in Philippians 2 when he's talking about counting the other person more significant than yourself, right? So if we want to understand what it means to submit to one another, it's putting the other person first. It's counting them more important than yourself. The best marriage advice, and Blake's going to preach on this next week, that I have for, for any person in this room, if I could just give you one thing to help you, count her or him more significant than yourself. If you will begin to do that, I promise you, your marriage will begin to get better. And then second, the second phrase is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because when we submit to God, we submit to his design. By design, your marriage is not about you. 
My marriage is not about me, right? Marriage is not even designed to, to be about that. So it, it's not designed to complete you, no matter what Jerry Maguire tells you. Uh, it, it's not designed to satisfy like your deepest longings, right? So you think, man, I'm single and I'm unhappy and I'm lonely. If I could just have a, a husband or a wife and build this family, then I would be fulfilled. No, you won't. Because single, unhappy, lonely, single people become single, Unhappy, lonely, married people. Christ is the only person that can fill you. And marriage works best when you're not looking to the other person for what only Christ can give to you. It actually puts a pressure on each other that you can't fulfill. It's not about your happiness. Uh, A marriage is not eternal, right? So marriage is not something that will be in heaven. Neither will we, we marry or be married in heaven is what God's word says. And so it's, it, it's, it's temporary, it's a temporary thing to be used for the mission of God and for mutual sanctification. So God's desire for you and I in this world is our holiness. And our holiness leads to reflecting him to people around us. And that's what marriage is designed. It's missional and it's sanctifying by design. Marriage is not about happiness. It's about holiness. It's not that it doesn't bring great joy because it does bring incredible joy to share your life with another person. But uh, because you're single or you're not married doesn't make you a second class person. Right? God never says that you have Paul not married, the biggest theologian and the biggest church planner in the Bible, not married. Jesus, our Savior, not married, right? So marriage is a good gift from God, but it's not an ultimate gift. It's a gift designed to make you and I more and more holy. It's about painting a picture of Christ in the church, and it's about you and I becoming more like Jesus. So basically, in marriage, you got two options. You can do it God's way, or you can do it your way. Right? Very simple, very polarizing. So the question I want to ask you today is, will you do marriage your way or are you going to do it God's way? Because here's the thing. I will promise you, if you begin to do marriage your way, I'm not saying that it won't work, but I'm telling you what God designed it to do, the joy that he designed it to bring, the, 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 the fulfillment that he placed in it to share your life with another person and to, to become more like him and to, to use it for the kingdom of God uh, to, to reach people. You will never experience that until you do it God's way. Marriage is about God. It's not about us and our deepest longings. So let's switch gears. So that's God's design for marriage. The second thing I want you to see is the godly wife, right? So I want to paint a picture of you of God's, of the, uh, God's word about what a godly wife is. And then I want to switch gears and go uh, to my, my husbands and say, this is what a godly husband is. Uh, all my men tell me that I go too easy on wives. Well, here you go. This is the best I got. You'll understand why I go easy on wives at, at some point in your life. So um, here's a tip for the husbands. So whatever I say and whatever I do, Whatever questions I ask, no matter if you think it's a good idea, bad idea, if it applies, if it don't apply, don't touch her, don't look at her. Just put your arm around her and say, I love you, babe. I love you. You are an incredible picture of this to me, and I, I would not change anything about you. Joke. Um, anyway, so for wives, here's the thing I want you to understand. I'm not, I'm not a wife. I've never been a wife, never been a girl. I, I don't know that. I don't know. I'm not speaking from firsthand. All I'm doing is pointing you to what God's word has to say. And I want to give you three words, and I'm going to do the same thing for my godly husband. Three words that I believe are important to be a godly wife. Number one is submission. Number one, submission. Number two is encouragement. Encouragement. And then number three is sin. We're going to look at the sin that keep us from becoming the godly wife that God has designed us to be. So the first, letter A is submission. Uh, Paul says in verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, notice what he's comparing it to. Wives, your part is to play the church. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Right? Submission, obviously, as many of you know, is not a popular word in our culture. Right? But I heard a pastor say this week, neither is staying married. So we should probably think about 
God's design in this way. So the Bible never commands women to submit to all men. That's not what, what the Bible is doing. Like if you're a wife in here, you don't have to submit to any other man than your husband and leaders in the church. Those are the only two environments that we see God tell us that we need to that, that women need to submit to men is in your home with your husband and to leadership within the church. So the question becomes, why is it only these two environments, the home and the church? Why would God do it that way? Is it a value thing? No, it's not a value thing. If you think about when Jesus came into the world, Jesus actually elevated the role of women, right? In the Roman culture, women were, were man, they were abused. They were, uh, I mean, they were pretty much property for men to do whatever they wanted to do. And then Jesus came on the scene and he, the people, think about it. Who was the first people to come to Jesus when he, when he resurrected? Women, right? He, he, he taught. Who did he go to say? The woman at the well. The, you got, it was so many times that he used women as examples and huge parts of building up his church. It's not about value. Well, is it leadership competency? Does God want men to lead because they're better leaders? No. I could literally put on my hand right now five women that are better leaders than any person in this room. Like It's not leadership competency that it is. It's not that. The answer is only it's God's design. Like that's it. It's, this is the way God wants it to be. And this is the way God has planned it to be for our flourishing, but also for the gospel to flourish in the world. He wants men to quit being passive, which we're known to be, and begin to lead in our homes. And he wants men to quit being passive and begin to lead in the church. That's the role that he has reserved for us to lead. Does it mean that women can't lead in the church? No, not at all. They can lead in a bunch of different ways, but there's certain roles, elder, that God has designed for men to step into and lead. Not because women couldn't do it. Sometimes I think women would probably do it better, but because he wants men to come out of the passivity of original sin and step into the role that God has called them to play. So wives, what does it mean to submit to your husband as Christ submits to the church? What does it mean? But listen, there's so much just confusion around what it means to submit. Does that mean you're just a doormat? That you do whatever he tells you to do whenever he tells you to do it? No. It's not what the Bible says. If you bounce back to Genesis, it actually shows you that man and woman are made to be complementary, right? It shows you that, that a woman was created to be a helper suitable for, for, for Adam. That's what Eve was created to do, right? It, it's about a partnership. It's about not standing uh, under his feet, but standing beside him and supporting him. So here's my definition of submission. It's allowing him to lead. That's it. Allowing. That's a voluntary choice on your part under the reverence of God to say, this is who God's called him to be, so I'm going to align my life and my heart and my will to God and allow him to lead. Now, the best way for him to lead is to follow Christ, as we'll see in a little bit, but it's to allow him to lead, to support him in what God has called him to do. And then the key word is allow. You're choosing to do this. This is not a sign of weakness. This is the ultimate sign of strength. This is way harder than being asked to lead, in my opinion, because you have to trust the leadership of, of your family and the church to somebody other than you. I love control. I don't know about you, but it is a difficult thing that's going to draw you to be more dependent on God. It should lead you to pray for him and to encourage him and to, 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 to lead him to, to Christ. So think about the church. That's the example he gives us. We want Christ to lead the church because God designed the church to be led that way, right? So the, the way our church is structured from a leadership standpoint, like I'm one of the elders. I'm one of the teaching elders. We have uh, four elders that serve you in that capacity. The reason we do a plurality of leadership here is because I don't want all the leadership on me. Because listen, if I feel like God is leading in this direction, but I have no accountability around me to say, Billy, that ain't what God's saying, no, neither does the Word of God say that at all. We think God is saying this. I need people around me to make sure that it's not Billy leading the church, it's God leading the church. And that's, the, that's what we want, because when God leads the church, the church flourishes. 
When Billy leads the church, the church doesn't flourish because my ideas are not the same as God's ideas. We need a group of people that are going to surrender to God, seek God, read the scriptures, align our church to God's word. That's the same thing when it comes to men leading in the home. And so think about the church. It flourishes. The same is true in the home. When men step up and lead, the home flourishes. When men step up and lead, the home flourishes. Listen, statistics show this. When a man gets saved in a household, there's a 93% chance that the whole household will get saved. If the child gets saved first, it's like 7%. If, if the wife gets saved, it's like 20%. But when the man gets saved, when the husband gives his life to Christ, gets serious about his relationship with God, there's a 93% correlation that the rest of the family will follow in behind him. Why? Because it's God's design. That's what God has orchestrated to happen. Think about fatherlessness statistics. There is not a greater issue in our country, in the world today, than, than absent fathers. You could track every evil in the world pretty much back to the fact that a kid did not have a father. Jails are full of fatherless kids. Orphanages full of foster kids. Addicts full of people that had no father, father in their life. When the father is absent, the home suffers in a bad way. And that's not a shot against single moms raising their kids. Listen, I know there's a ton of single moms that are doing an incredible job. And where the ideal lacks, God's grace comes in and he, he rescues that. But trust me, kids need a daddy. They need a dad that's focused on the Lord to pursue them because it's just an incredible impact on their life when that happens. So listen to me, wife. The fact that God has called husbands to lead is a good gift to you, right? It's, it's something that God has given to you, but you have to see it as a gift and not someone trying to take something from you. That makes sense? So many women, that, that's why they view leadership. It's like, if he leads, then i got to release control, and I can't do this, and it's not like God is giving you something good. No, God has given you a good gift uh, for him to step up and try to lead. So the question for you as a wife is, well, how do I allow him to lead? Like, practically, how do I allow him to lead? Do you nag him to get him to lead? No. Proverbs, it's better to live on the corner of a roof than with a nagging wife. It's better to live in a desert than with a nagging wife. A nagging wife is like a dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. None of those things are good, right? You don't nag someone to lead. Do you yell at him? Uh, uh, do you tear him down and tell him how bad of a leader he is? Do you take control? You can't do it. I'll do it. Do you leave sticky notes of, of Bible verses and like it's God speaking to him and try to be his Holy Spirit? No. What do you do? You encourage him, which is the second thing. Encouragement. Godly wives are encouragers. There's no one way to encourage a man. You got to know your man and you got to learn how to encourage him to, to be the man God's called him to be. So how do you do that? Here's a couple things. Number one, you are his helper. You are his helper. God has designed you to be a helper suitable for him. You're his number one cheerleader. Like, you, you are there to support him, to believe in him, to, 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 to be there. You are his trusted supporter. You, you are his best friend. You, you believe in him and who God has called him to be. Because listen to me, I'll give you a little secret. There, there's one foundational question behind every man. Every man asks it. If they tell you they don't, they're lying. And it's this. The question is, do I have what it takes? Why do we give ourselves to sports? Uh, why do we compete in things that don't matter? Why do we try to make all this money? Well, we want to know we have what it takes to be successful, right? That's what we're running after. Most of us, if, if we're honest, we have something in us that makes us want to have what it takes. This is what drives us. And God has given you as a wife power over that. He gives you the ability to affirm that or either destroy it. Kate's opinion of me matters more than anybody else. Listen, I walk off this stage and I preach, and I've preached to a lot of people before. And a lot of people like what I have to say. Some people don't. But I walk out of here, and I love when you guys encourage me. But when I get home, the first question I'm asking my wife is, hey, what did you think about the sermon today? Why? Because I trust her. I know she's going to shoot me straight. I know she loves me. 
and I care what she has to say. And if she says, Billy, you did a great job. I thought that was incredible. My day's made. I don't care what anybody says. I can get 16 emails telling me how terrible of a preacher I am. But if she tells me I did a good job, it means something. Her encouragement means so much to me. And God has placed you to do the same thing for your spouse. At the end of my worst day, a meeting going wrong, every all hell breaking loose in the church, everything going on, when I come home and my wife is on my side and encouraging me, it is the best stress reliever ever. It is absolutely all I need. I need her and I need the Lord beside me. And if I have that, I have what I need. And so, wives, I'd ask you this question. You can be a crown or you can be a cancer, but you can't be both. You can be a crown to your husband, as Proverbs 12, 4. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like a decay in his bones, like a cancer in his bone, but you can't be both. So choose to be an encourager. And then lastly, sin, sin. So you got submission, you got encouragement and sin. What are the biggest enemies that I've seen when it comes to pursuing and trying to be a godly wife? I'll give you just three traps that, that I've seen. The first one is perfectionism and comparison. We live in a world where wives love to compare themselves. They love to be on social media. They love to see what other people have going on, right? And so what happens is they begin to see what they would call a perfect wife or a perfect family or a perfect house or perfect kids, and they see it, but on social media, it is an illusion, right? I've never seen one lady in my entire life post a picture of real life on social media, right? It's always the best version of themselves. If the house is messy seven days a week, when they get somebody, probably somebody else coming in the house to clean it up, what are they going to post a picture of? Happy life, man, we're doing awesome, right? They don't show the rest of the week where all hell's breaking loose in the house. And what happens is we begin to see that and we begin to compare ourselves to that and we chase after this perfectionism that's never there. Like it, it, there's nothing there that's going to satisfy you deeper. Do not think there's no perfect family. There's no perfect marriage. There's no perfect kids. So listen to God, allow God, quit looking around and looking horizontally and look up and allow God to set the standard of your family. Secondly is conformity. There's a trap of conformity. There's, there's marriages all around us. And I'll tell you, there's just one thing. It's normal in our culture to destroy your husband with words, to destroy him, to gossip about him, to make fun of him with your friends, to talk about how terrible he is, at blah, 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 blah. That's not God's design for marriage. That's not God's design for marriage. It does nothing but destroy. Do not conform to the ways of the world. Conform to the image of God. And then the third one would be dominance and control. If he can't do what I need him to do, then I'll just do it. If he can't lead this family the way I want him to lead this family, then I'll step up and do it. And it's more about gaining control because at the end of the day, a lot of times, if a man actually stepped into the role that God had him to play, a lot of the wives that I know would not even be happy about it, right? They would, they would be mad that he stepped into the role that God played, called him to play. And so wives, we got to check our hearts and say, do we truly want to do this God's way? And do we trust that God's way will lead our family to flourishing, or do we care about being in control more than we care about honoring God? So what is your next step? Here's the question for my wives, and then I'm going to the husbands. What is your next step to become the wife that God wants you to be? What is your next step today? What is it? Is it confession? Is it beginning to repent from maybe a normal that you had that's not God's normal? Is it apologizing? Is it committing to the new normal? And then now the godly husband. All right, wives, I got the same advice for you. So if I say something that you think is good and you think it's exactly what he needs to hear, what are you going to do? Not look at him. Just put your arm around him. Say, baby, I love you. You are a great husband, and you've set an incredible example, and I'm here to support you and to encourage you as you walk into who God's called him 
to be. The godly husband, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's his goal, holiness and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of one of his body. For this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wives and as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So we see in here, when a man steps into this role, we've already established the family flourishes. Great things happen when Christ leads the church. Great things happen when a man steps into this head role in uh, the house. So, so goes a man, so goes the house, is what God would say. I can't say this enough, but when men lead and love well, everything flourishes. So three words for my husbands. Number one, love. Number two, lead. And number three, sin. So I want you to love, lead, and sin, right? So the first, love, letter A. Men always want to talk about lead. I'm the leader. Lead, 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 lead. I'm leader. I'm the head. She needs to submit. She needs to do what I want. That's not what Paul said. What does he say? Husbands, what's the, what's the word? Love. Husbands, love. Husbands, Love. He says it three times. He wants us to love before we even think about leading. He's actually defining leading for us. How do we lead? We love. Paul says it here. Love. It's sacrificial, serving, love. It's agape, right? There's three types of love in the Bible, in the Greek. Phileo, eros, and agape. Phileo is like a friendship type love. Eros is like an erotic, like sexual type love. He says, don't build your marriage on those husbands. Build your marriage on agape love, unconditional love. John 3, 16, love. For God agape so the world so much that he gave his only son. He sacrificed himself for the good of people who would believe. Husbands, if you don't know the love of Christ, if we're not digging into the love of Christ we will not be able to love our wives like Christ. It's impossible to love her without an example of what that love looks like. And we all look somewhere. The Bible says, look to Christ. Paul David Tripp says this, love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. So it's the type of love that's sacrificial for the good of another. It doesn't require reciprocation. I'm not loving her to get something back. I'm not loving her because she deserves to be loved. I'm loving her unconditionally because God has asked me to do so. This is the covenant. Guys, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. There's a fundamental question in the life of pretty much every woman I've ever met. And that question is this, am I valuable? Am I valuable? Am I lovely? There's this desire that wants to be loved, that wants to be loved. And the answer to this, women, is yes. You don't need a husband to tell you that. If your husband isn't telling you that, God's already told you that. He, he, descri- he defined your value on the cross. He's already done it. However, husbands, God has placed you in her life as a gift to second this, to affirm this. This is a big deal. God wants you to be the best tangible picture of Christ that your wife sees this side of heaven. Think about that. You are the best picture of Christ. This is what God wants, that you would be the best picture of Christ that your wife sees this side of heaven. Healthy marriages do not happen by accident. They happen because of husbands that are intentional about loving their wives, not because they always feel like loving their wives, but because it's what God has called them to do. It is obedience to love your wives. So how do we do this? I'm going to give you some tips give you a few things that I think would be helpful when it comes. Uh, All of these would be uh, best umbrellaed over, look to Christ, look to the cross. You want to know how to love your wife? Look to Jesus, look to the cross. He defined it clearly for us on the cross 
and with his life. Number one, seven ways. Pursue her. Pursue her. I don't have time. I can't dive into all of them. I want you to write them down. Pursue her. Pursue her unconditionally the way Christ has pursued us. Secondly, lavish love on her. Lavish love on her. The same love that Christ poured out on us. The word lavish literally means to, uh, to expend profusely. It's to pour out everything we have. It means to spoil her like you can't spoil anything else. 1 John 3, 1, it's the way that God spoiled us in Christ. He gave us the right to be sons of God, the greatest right we'll ever have. With your words, with your actions, spoiler, lavish your love on her. Three, take responsibility. God has given you an incredible responsibility to love her. That is a really good responsibility that we need to step into because we will be held accountable for the way that we loved our wife. You are the leader. It's not your wife's responsibility to lead the family, to teach your kids about Jesus, to take the kids to school, to do all the housework. God has made you the leader of the family. How do you lead? You go first. You go first. Inexhaustible forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgive one another. Ephesians 4.32 is Christ has forgiven you. Listen to me. You can't always be right and be a good husband. You can't always be right and be a good husband. You can't keep a scorecard of all the past mistakes and everything he or she's ever done and have a healthy marriage. You can't keep trying to fix her and have a healthy marriage because you got some of the same issues and you need to focus on what Christ is doing in you. There's a time to listen to her and then there's a time to offer advice when she asks you how she need, what she's struggling with and won't. That's an important distinction to make, man. Let me help you for a minute. If your wife comes in and just starts talking, and at no point in that conversation does she ask you, hey, what do you think? How would you solve this situation? Don't say anything. Just shut up. Shut up and listen. But if she gets to the end and says, what do you think? She's giving you the invitation to share, right? Most of the time where I get myself in trouble is I'm a fixer. I'm trying to fix. Like you bring to me a problem, I want to fix it. But I've learned very, very that wives not all the time want you to fix it. They just want you to listen. God's called us to be a good listener. Fifthly, crucify your will. Marriage is not about you. It's not about your happiness. It's not about getting everything that you want. Life is actually found not in getting what you want, but in laying your life down. Begin to think God's way. Six is serve her. Jesus humbled himself, got on his knees, and washed his disciples' feet and said, this is my example for you. Judas didn't deserve for his feet to be washed. He didn't deserve to be served. He was going to betray Jesus even to the point of death in a few days. But because he received the, the command to serve, he served. Listen, serve her whether she deserves to be served or whether she's doing what you want her to do or not. Because you're not serving her for her. You're serving her because God's asked you to do it. Seven, don't react. Respond in love. This is huge. Golly, huge. Please. Don't react. Self-control, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Ask God to help you have self-control. Listen, if anybody knows how to push my buttons, it's my wife. Right, And I guarantee you, if you're in here, you know the same thing. She knows exactly what to say and exactly when to say it to take my blood pressure from normal to heart attack. And in that moment, once those words come out of my mouth, I can't take them back. And so I've learned and I'm trying and I ask for God's help every day. Be self-controlled. Don't react, but respond in love. And listen, it'll make her mad. She wants me to respond sometimes. But I would rather respond in the way that God's asked me to respond than react in love. And be gracious even when he does because he's not perfect. Remember that. Few things will reveal your need for Jesus like your inability to love your wives the way Christ does. Few things will reveal your need for Christ like your inability, husbands, to love her the way Christ loved the church. So, so what do we see in that? Do, do we put this huge burden on our back to be something that, that we could never be? No. We lean into God and we depend on God. Listen, you're forgiven. The grace is sufficient. 
Now allow that grace to, stri- to drive you to become the man God's asked you to be. Not only love, but we need to lead her, right? Lead. How do we lead? We lead by loving her. We lead her by being the first, being the first to say I'm sorry, the repenter, being the first to thank her in gratitude, being the lead disciple. You are the spiritual leader of the family. Well, Billy, I don't know the Bible. We'll learn it. Listen, I know she's been through every Beth Moore, Jen Wilkin Bible study out there. I know she has. And I know she probably knows more about the Bible than you do. That's okay. That has nothing to do with you stepping into. You don't have to know more of the Bible than her. And listen to me, women. If he says something wrong or he prays in a way that you think is less than he should pray, don't correct me. Just stand back and say, Thank you for leading our family. God, I'm so thankful that you're stepping into this. Listen, he don't need somebody to correct him all the time. He needs somebody to support him and encourage him. You're the lead servant. You're the first to step up and serve. Whatever she doesn't want to do, what does your wife hate to do? Do it for her. Make it the first thing that you do. You're the lead sacrificer. That means you're willing to give up of yourself so that you... And for the good of your family, I want you to write this down. If serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. Listen, that'll help you right there. If serving is beneath you, if you feel like serving is beneath you, you're too good to serve, too good to wash the dishes, too good to fold clothes, too good to do whatever your, your wife is just asking for help with, then leadership is beyond you. You cannot be who God's called you to be if you're not willing to serve. And then lastly, sin. The number one enemy of us becoming a godly husband is passivity. 100%, no doubt about it. For some of us, I know the 100%, the next step that we need to take today to become the man that God has called us to be, to become the husband, is to step out of passivity and begin to step into what God's called us to be. To begin to care about the eternal things in life that actually matter. So my question for you, is this, guys, what is your next step in becoming the husband that God's asked you to become? So I want to close this way. I want you right where you're at, bow your head. I want to ask you to grab your wife's hand. If you're not married, then then you can still pray. Why don't you pray for the marriages uh, in our church? They're very important. And maybe pray for uh, your future marriage if you're going to be married or, or pray for somebody's marriage that you know is struggling in our church. But right where you are, I want your heads bowed. I want you to grab your spouse's hand. And we're going to sing a song. But before we sing a song, I want you to just spend some time praying. Andrew's going to come out and play for us for, for, for just a couple minutes. You just heard a sermon about what God's design is for marriage. And the ultimate purpose is that you would become more like Christ and that people would see Jesus in your life. And so that's what I want you to pray for. Would you pray for your spouse? Pray that they would become who God's asked them to become. And then I want you to pray that people would see Christ in the way that you love and serve one another. Listen, this may be awkward. There may be some men and women in here. Y'all have never prayed together. You've been married, but you've never prayed together. You know, I'm not asking you to pray out loud. I'm just asking you to grab her hand, and I'm asking you to pray that God would help you guys become who he's asked you to become. So, Father, I pray right now, God, in this time, would you make it powerful? God, the way we fight for our marriages is on our knees. That's the best way to fight for them. God, you can do in us what we can't do for ourselves. Father, I pray today you would give us the courage to begin to walk into your design for marriage. God, we're sinners. We need you, God. We're not perfect. We know that. God, your grace is sufficient for us. God, would you help us live in the design that you have made for us to live in. God, help us fight sin and help us be the husbands and wives that you've called us to be. Father, would you use us for your kingdom in an incredible way. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.